namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa bhutang dhammang sanghang namasami Continuing with the Dhamma talk given on Songkran, the uh, uh, traditional New Year. Uh, this is in the chapter called Practicing Dharma. So, uh, if you remember, uh, the last reading finished off with it um, saying, uh, There are those who say that doing good is not certain to bring good results. They may have practiced virtue, but not seen any good come from it. I practice virtue, so why can't I see any benefit? We can see plenty of people doing bad things and getting good results, and plenty of people doing good, yet still experiencing suffering. And then I think I quoted the um, uh, the uh, Mahakama Vibhanga Sutta, the, the greater discourse on the exposition of action, of Kama, which is uh, Majima Nikaya Sutta number 136. Uh, so... Uh, that talks about how um, even though we might be living a virtuous life, the the painful results of past actions can ripen. Uh, and also if we are living an unskillful life, then the beneficial uh, results of past good action can be ripening. So that's why it's a, it's not uh, uncommon to see, as Lumpur Chao uh, comments, uh, I, you know, I'm practicing virtue, but I can't see any benefit. And I see people doing bad things. How come they are, they are still, uh, uh, say, not getting any, uh, not getting any kind of um, negative result? Uh, and so that uh, that explains that, or talks about that in in some detail. So to continue, this is true, but only in the way of wrong understanding. Insofar as it is wrong view, it doesn't actually accord with the truth. If we really see according to the truth, we realize that the Buddha's teaching is not something that changes. Whatever happens, the truth that the Buddha awakened to is something fixed and certain. The truth is always the truth. When it appears as untruth, that's because of the wrong understanding of human beings. For example, Mr. A might be arrested and accused of some crime. He's perfectly innocent of the charges, but he doesn't have any witnesses on his side. The police may bring forth a parade of witnesses to testify against him, while his only witness is his own awareness and integrity. In this case, he can't win. Because he can't prove the other witness is wrong, he ends up going to jail. Still, he is in the right, and it will only be his body that is incarcerated. His mind will not be locked up. If this happened to most of us, we'd probably feel wrong and get pretty depressed. But according to the Buddha, there's never any valid cause for feeling wronged. If such things happen to us, if we've not done anything wrong yet, uh, sorry, not done anything wrong, yet must pay a price and experience suffering, we have to place the blame on karma, our actions. Though we haven't done anything wrong today, we may have done so yesterday. If we didn't do it yesterday, we may have done it sometime in the past. We can conclude that we did something previously and thus have this experience in the present because of the principle that nothing happens without a cause. If there's no cause, phenomena do not arise. All phenomena appear due to causes. If we can always contemplate this principle and consider things in this way, our lives will be joyous. Uh, so this uh, is a, a, um, uh, an important principle um, and that uh, along with uh, what we experience being the direct results of past actions, either in the recent, the, in this lifetime, in the recent past, or this life, lifetime in the earlier, uh, earlier years, or in previous lifetimes, uh, I would say that's not the only cause of, of why things happen. The very fact of ha of being born, having a body, <laughs> is one of the causes for uh, for things to happen for us to have illnesses and uh, difficulties and, and um, challenges in life so certainly what they call kama niyama the the third of the five the five niyamas uh, which is the 
um, the law of cause and effect with respect to, to personal actions. There's also the uh, what they call um, utuniyama, which is the laws of physics and chemistry, bijaniyama, the laws of biology and the, the living world, uh, chittaniyama, the laws of psychology and how the mind works, and then dhammaniyama, the law of how you know, the whole structure of reality is, is configured. So uh, Kamaniyama is not the only uh, the only deciding fact, not to contradict contradict Lumpucha, <laughs> which I wouldn't want to do, but uh, it's it's not solely, I would say, the, the result of personal action that is uh, contributing to what we and what we experience. Um, and that uh, there's a whole um, see array of causes and uh, one of the four imponderables, uh, the achinteya, is all of the workings of karma. Exactly how everything fits together, and how one uh, all the many contributing causes and possible effects that come from uh, from uh, uh, the, the the field of action and experience. It, it's far too complex to to pin things down in uh, in any uh, substantial and absolute way. So, any questions or? Comments, thoughts on that? We can be very superstitious about this, and uh, and sometimes people are to disempower themselves by thinking that Buddhism is a a teaching based on a kind of fatalism or determinism that because of this these causes, then there's going to be necessarily this result. Um, but uh, I think again, as I was saying a, a few days ago, the the one of the central principles of Buddha Dhamma is that it's not a deterministic teaching; it's not a fixed result, to um, uh, or, or that uh, that sense of things being preordained and predetermined, um, and uh, as the uh, the Buddha described it, is that some some philosophers would have this way of describing things that life is like a a ball of string that just you know it's a, a fixed ball of string that that unravels and then. Uh, it, it comes to its uh, its only single final conclusion uh, according to a, a, a preordained pattern and uh, the buddha said if if uh, if there, everything was fixed if there was uh, completely predetermined then liberation would be impossible similarly if there was no um if things were random if there was no uh, effects of of uh, of past actions and um no, uh, no effect of personal cho- you know, choices that are made. If things just happened randomly, again, liberation would be impossible. Uh, those are uh, uh, one expression of the two extremes of uh, things either pre predetermined or or completely capricious and completely random. But um, the Buddha said that uh, that at the very center there are the laws of cause and effect, and the choices that are made. Uh, make a difference, and that's why liberation is possible. And that um, the uh, uh, that is uh, one of the reasons why he he taught and encouraged the development of the the eightfold path as a, the way to liberation. That uh, that karma is not fixed; that it's not a, like a predetermined pattern. Even though there might be strong tendencies to head in a particular direction, like the karma of having grown up in England. And speaking English, I'm not going to suddenly start speaking in German since I can't speak German, <laughs> just other than a few words. You know that that that's the, the just the, the simple practical. I was there as part of Bijaniyama and come and um, Chittaniyama as well. The laws of biology and, and psychology. You, you know, very unlikely to suddenly start speaking in a different language um, because of you know, just the laws of of cause and effect, and so. Uh, I feel that's that's helpful in terms of of our practice. You can understand there might be strong tendencies in a particular direction, yeah, certain currents, but um, it's not a, a fixed reality. So in that respect, I, I'm not going to randomly start speaking German. But if I wanted to, I could make the effort to learn German and to and to speak it. So if I made that choice and put in the effort and took action along those lines, then things could go in that direction. And so that. Um, the, we have uh, the, that mixture of of tendencies of one kind or another, recognizing then the, the ability to recognize what's skillful, what's unskillful, and then the capacity to make choices in the present. 
The, one of the tricky things then is how choice and volition relates to the principle of not-self, because it certainly feels like there's a me who's making decisions and a me who's experiencing the results of, of those choices. But if you deconstruct uh, a, a decision then if, uh, then, uh, and it's, it's explored, even though it can feel like I am deciding to say these particular words, <laughs> And also, or whatever it might be, that uh, that the uh, the anatomy of a decision, if it's looked at, every every aspect of it is not self. I would suggest so that there's the the attunement to a situation, like it's a dumber reading, so there's something to say, <laughs> there's words to 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 uh, to share. Uh, um, there's a the uh, a sense of a meaning that wants to be expressed, like talking about how decision making is not self. Um, and then memory of how this has been explained in the past, the, the use of, of uh, language um, that is uh, available in, say, the English, uh, English language to, to create a, a, an, an image. Uh, the memory is not self. The um, mental capacity for, for language and thought is not self. Uh, and then the... Um, uh, the sense of uh, attunement to the time, the place, the situation. Again, a kind of awareness uh, and uh, mindfulness is not self. And then the um, uh, the, the the body, the, uh, the tongue that are making the words, rupang anatta, the body is not self. <laughs> and uh, uh, the um, uh, uh, the and the the. Um, the sounds that are made, the the actual use of the voice, uh, that speaking uh, again is an a, an attribute of the body's activity. The rupang anatta is not self, and then again the 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 conceptual appreciation of are these words making sense or are they not making sense? Um, that uh, appreciation, that those perceptions, sanya anatta perception is not self. So uh, you can explore it. Uh, yeah, individually, but uh, and it's uh, in a way one of the most uh, compelling aspects of ex uh, of life that seems to really be a person. That you, maybe we we hear a sound and, and you can recognize, oh, it's just hearing. That that uh, that sound doesn't have an owner. That uh, that the, the color of this carpet is not mine. It's perceived. It's not self. Okay, yeah. A, a perception can be seen as. Not self, but a thought might seem to be more like it's it, it belongs to a person, or it's it's my thought, my my idea. But then, with insight, uh, meditation, and that that sense of a thought arising and passing away can be seen. Oh, it's just thinking. It's not. Isn't really a thinker. And maybe emotions are even stronger. That no, I'm I'm excited, or I'm upset, or you know, I'm angry, or I'm afraid. Um, that. That uh, emotions can seem more like uh, 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 they they are a self or they belong to a self, but again, if they, those are explored with insight, it can be seen. Oh, this is just uh, angry feeling or anxious feeling or excited feeling arising and passing away, and this is not self. But in a way, right at the <laughs> the very core, a decision really feels like there's a me who's making a decision, and also culturally and socially, you know, then. Uh, the society looks upon decisions and actions have uh, as being belonging to individuals. This person is rewarded and praised for something that they did that's beneficial. This person is punished and put in jail for something that they supposedly did, <laughs> and that uh, so that that uh, uh, on a societal level, a social level, a human community. It, that we very easily assign action and choice to a, a person, but if you do a, a, do a little investigation, deconstruction, it's 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 intriguing to see every element uh, of of the whole uh, uh, say process. Every every aspect of it is not self. Just like with the body, you can feel like this is my body. You know, this is my voice. This is what I look like. You take all the pieces apart, and it's and then the the if you get down to a um, a chemical level, and here's the carbon, here's the nitrogen, here's the phosphorus, here's the the calcium, you know, here's the uh, here's the iron, here, you know, here's the uh, the hydrogen, and, and so on and so forth. And it's like, well, oh, <laughs> these are the elements that make up the body, 
they put them together and arrange them in a certain way and they make person but uh, in in and of itself the the elements are are not personal they don't have Ajahn Amaro written all the way through the calcium molecules or the the uh, the hydrogen or the iron you know the the my blood cells don't have you know property of Ajahn Amaro kind of <laughs> printed on them so that uh, that uh, is a, as an investigation I encourage it uh, to uh, to to do and to see oh even though from the outside it looks like it's me deciding kind of from the inside <laughs> there isn't really a, a, a person who decides and the the decisions are not uh, don't belong to a person and the results don't there's no person they belong to either it just really looks and feels that way so any comments thoughts yes nick could you say something about um the buddha as a tathagata in other words um, an embodied not self of pure awareness mm -hmm. could you say something about his karma consequences of his actions and words and how they fit in from a perspective of not self i'm just curious in terms of because he obviously has an impact on the world <laughs> and continues to yeah and continues to yeah it's a it's a good question it's um in a way uh kama uh, and the the re results of kama vipaka is they sort of quote unquote accrue to a being as long as there is uh the collection of attachments that form a being that 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 aggregate of aggregation of habits and the attachments that um that is the sort of uh the, what is the cause of rebirth when the buddha was asked what is it that carries on from one life to another uh, or what is it that supports a, a life a jivita from one one lifetime when one life comes to an end and another one begins um what is it that, what's the fuel that supports that life the buddha said tanupadana craving is the fuel so that uh, uh, in my understanding of it is that uh, so that uh, an enlightened being is taking action but there isn't uh, a sense of of a person who's accumulating the results of those actions it's simply that uh, it's called the karma that leads to the end of karma so that the actions are being taken but uh, they are, um, and even though the world will say, "Oh, I'm grateful for the Buddha, to the Buddha for giving these teachings," but that um, that's a, a, an idea in our minds. It's a mental image of the people who are doing the appreciating. But there is, you can't say that there is a being, some place that is uh, accruing the beneficial results of those actions. It's more, it's kind of out in the pool of the universal reality. Um, but also, the Buddha was very, uh, very, very clear about that you. You can't say that the Tathagata sort of becomes one with everything. Like, no, 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 no. It's like that's that's not. Uh, uh, I said being commensurate, commensurate with the allness of the all, which is an interesting phrase. So to to say that when the the enlightened an enlightened one um, has become one with with all, it's like no, no, that's not. It's not the right way of configuring it. You, you know, that's still creating a subtle uh, imposition of the idea of self. And, uh, and uh, essentially said, you know, the the whole concept of a of a living being and in, an individual, an entity, time, location, all of these don't apply. You know, one who has reached the end has no criterion by which they can be measured. That which can be spoken of is no more. Uh, you can't you say you cannot say they do they kind of do not exist quote unquote but when all modes of being all phenomena have been removed all means of speaking have gone too that's uh, in the buddha's uh, uh instruction to upasiva in the sutta nipata so the um uh, that uh, as long as the Buddha, I mean, again, kind of second-guessing the Buddha or <laughs> trying to imagine the Buddha's experience is a bit audacious, precocious, or presumptuous. <laughs> but I've kind of, I've never been shy of being presumptuous. So um, it, uh, the action is being taken and the mind is responding to situations 
and and from the outside it looks like there is a Buddha or there's an enlightened being. But uh, I think as I was saying uh, the other day at one of these readings, there isn't really any such thing as an enlightened being. From the outside it looks like this person's enlightened and that one isn't. You know, the, the, and that's a, uh, on the level of convention, that's a, a, a meaningful designation. But from the inside, there isn't a person that's be, that is an enlightened person. So if someone says, I'm an Arahant, then uh, then that's why we tend to you know, get suspicious <laughs> because it's taking that as like a personal attribute. It's like the, the awake mind knows the personal qualities arising and passing away and knows the responsivity of, uh, in terms of action and speech to different situations and uh, you know the, the feelings of the body and the, the, the time, the place, the, the situation. But uh, I would say internally there is the mind knowing those responses as they occur in an organic and natural uh, way and then the resources are called upon in terms of memory and uh, communication, in terms of employment of different modes of being strong or being quiet or being uh, humorous or, or being serious uh, according to the, 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 the living situation. But it's not, on, from the inside, I would say that the, the Buddha or an enlightened being is not saying, oh, I will now crack a joke, or I, I need to get serious here, or um, the, the, the mind isn't forming the, the present experience in terms of me here and the world out there. But it's, there's a, a, a responsivity that the, the jitta is uh, the, um, in, embodying uh, in relationship to the living situations, and when the body breathes, breathes out and doesn't breathe in again, then there's there's nothing more that can be said about uh, that. Um, and, and you know, the Buddha was very, very resolute uh, in talking about when people say, "What happens to an enlightened being at the end of their life?" And he said, "You know, happens doesn't apply. Being doesn't apply." <laughs> Where does an enlightened being go? You know, going doesn't apply. Reappearing doesn't apply. Those all those words presume a reality that doesn't exist. So that uh, in terms of of the Buddha creating good karma by giving you know there's thousands of, of teachings and, and that, then I say yes, the, the ripples of that wholesome conduct that continue to reverberate through the world and very effectively and wonderfully, but. Uh, there, uh, there isn't a uh, a, 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 a being in the ordinary sense of what a being is, where the results of all that goodness will will uh, reverberate or will will, will cluster. Uh, it's uh, it's like the um, <clears throat> the 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 ripples have been sent forth. Uh, and that we're still experiencing that, but the um, uh, the the whole idea of a of a, a being that uh, is the owner of those or the generator of those or that which will receive the results of those that that doesn't apply anymore. Could one say that it's a manifestation of pure consciousness? Yes, yeah, I and mean, that's a, that kind of language Lumpur Sumato uses most of the time nowadays. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, but but uh, yeah, uh, you know, any languaging is going to be partially correct <laughs> or accurate. It's, uh, any languaging can only be uh, like a convenient fiction. It can't represent the picture completely. But it's but that's one of the extraordinary things is that through the use of the conditioned realm, the Buddha enabled beings to awaken to the unconditioned, and that through these you know uh, approximate uh, representations and half truths and symbols and similes and lists and different ways of of uh, configuring ideas and concepts and images, then it helps to catalyze the the, the mind of, of beings to awaken to the fundamental reality. So, it's an extraordinary skill to to know that this is just conven co conventional and limited, and um, and. Uh, a, a partial uh, can only be a, 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 a you know a half truth or a partial truth, uh, but still <laughs> it can it can work. You know, it can have its uh, its very potent effect. You know, like a like a photograph 
it's a photograph of a person it's not a person but we can see the picture oh i know him yeah oh yeah, she, yeah I've, I've seen her before and it's not it's a picture <laughs> it's not the person but you 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 the picture is a, a close enough representation of the reality to have the that same kind of a, effect that's a key word representation yeah Representation. Okay, so to continue. To find people who really trust the Buddha's teachings like this is very rare. For example, I established this monastery together with the lay supporters and monastic disciples more than 20 years ago. So he started Wat Bapong in 1954. So this means this, this Dhamma talk was given probably in the late 70s by deduction. I established this monastery together with the lay supporters and monastic disciples more than 20 years ago. You may have heard the history of Watpapong. We were able to create a monastery here and bear many hardships over the years because people had appreciation for the truth and were not afraid. This is not just talk. Many of us had malaria for three years and there was no way to get treatment. We often had no candles, flashlight batteries or oil for lamps. There were even more snakes and other poisonous creatures than there are now. So when we walked at night, we recited verses of loving-kindness and protection. If we died, we died. If we lived, we lived. We could have this attitude because we were following a virtuous way and we could trust our own minds. So the Buddha taught to look into yourself, know yourself, and train yourself. Don't be too eager to train others. You should be looking at yourself. If others say we're good, that's not our standard to measure by. If others say we aren't good, that's not to be taken as a standard either. Don't get too happy or depressed by what others say. Turn inward and seek out the truth of the matter within yourself. When they are saying we're not good, where is it that we aren't good? Is there such a deficiency? If there's something amiss, then correct that. Give up what is wrong. Don't get upset with others for speaking. If what they say isn't true, never mind. They're just seeing things incorrectly and you can have confidence in what you're doing. You should trust yourself, not reacting to praise or criticism with enchantment or unhappiness. Whether others' speech is right or wrong, never mind. If it's right, what is there to be upset and argue about? If it's wrong, why should you want to contend with them? In this way, there's no loss or wrong for yourself. The mind remains happy and satisfied within the practice. So it said, Morality is the vehicle for happiness. Morality is wealth and treasure. Morality leads to dispassion. Thus may your morality be pure. So that last little passage, that's the, the verse he began with. Silena sugatingyanti, silena bogasampada, silena nibutingyanti, tasamat silangviso daiye. Which is chanted after the five precepts uh, ceremony. Um, so the, there's some very uh, useful, um, uh, important principles here. Uh, another uh, another place is Lumpur Cha used to say, "Look at yourself, ninety uh, percent of the time, and other people ten percent." That's all of them together for ten percent. <laughs> That's kind of just a point point one of a percent each. You know, if you if you live with a hundred people, uh, so uh, uh, look at yourself ninety percent of the time, and others ten percent of the time, because this is where we can make a difference. If your mind is always wanting to find happiness by straightening out everybody else. It's going to be a long road. <laughs> it easily does that, you know, that we kind of find fault with others and think, oh, if only he wasn't like this or she wasn't like that, she needs to be more like this, he needs to be more like that, then I would be happy. You know, if only they were different, everything would be great. So I'm not reading anybody's mind and thinking, how did he know that? <laughs> so it's uh, just statistics, not psychic power. That's just how we, uh, how we are. But uh, yeah, and so it's not ignoring others altogether. You know, we live in community and we affect each other. So, uh, but um, to put ninety percent of the attention on this one and ten percent shared between the other, uh, the rest of the group. So, uh, and then as he says, with, with unerring logic, <laughs> um, if their speech, if they critic, if people are criticizing you, if they're right. What's there to be upset about? Like, well, okay, yeah, I do talk too much, or I do, um, uh, I am selfish or, or lazy, or whatever. But uh, yeah, okay. If they're right, if their if their criticism is is well uh, well founded, okay. Thank you for letting me know. 
And if they're wrong, well, they're, what they're saying doesn't match the reality, so no need to make a thing of it. It's just that if they want to see you that way, that, that's their business. So a couple of things in this respect. Um, when people criticize you or you, you get a negative feedback, then it's good to, to consider that. Say, okay, well, this person has said this to me, they've given me this message or they've given me this this signal and offered this feedback so is it true does does that match reality is that something that i i haven't seen before i don't want to see or i i have i have seen and i'm uh, i i don't want to acknowledge yeah how is that so you 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 pay attention and 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 consider and then through that investigation and trying to be as unbiased and honest and straightforward as, as you can and to, to weigh that up and say, well, actually, no, I think they're completely mistaken and that, that's not really what's on my mind at all. But I guess people might see that, might, might interpret what I do for, in that way. Um, uh, but uh, that's, you know, that, that's their business. So um one of the the very valuable practices uh, in community life and in in life in general is to be able to receive criticism or negative feedback and there's a one <coughs> i am not sure where, where it is in the suttas but um where the buddha says if you are offered a choice between a pile of gold bullion like you know hundreds of uh, millions and millions of pounds worth of gold or somebody offering you sincere uh, feedback uh, on your behavior. So if you have a choice between the two, would you, like the, would you like the negative feedback or would you like the pile of gold? You should pick the negative feedback. It's much more precious to you than a pile of, of gold bullion. So hey, the Buddha was a genius at these very memorable images. He said, yeah, quote, unquote, anyone in their quote, unquote, right mind would go for the gold. Uh, but he said, no, actually the, the feedback is far more precious, far more useful to us. And uh, that, so that you do find that, that comment is there in the suttas. And, that, uh, uh, and if you um, uh, really take that to heart, then that, that's how, uh, often how we learn. And that when the, the, the Buddha, um, uh, when he talked about uh, when disciples were really uh, untrainable or that no matter how much explanation or, or effort he put into giving guidance and the uh, people still didn't didn't listen didn't make any uh, didn't have any effect on them, didn't respond then he say i just uh, I, I give up giving uh, giving instruction it's it's up to they're they're on their own and he says that's called called killing someone in the holy life so like a and he's having a dialogue with a horse trainer called casey and um and so he asks you uh, he asks uh, casey you know how do you train your horses and casey says well there's the, the the best kind of horse moves at the shadow of the whip you just sort of lift the whip up and the horse will be ready to go the second kind of horse will one touch of the whip and then they go the third kind is you have to, to whip them a few times and then they go and the fourth kind is no matter how much you whack them then they don't go and so then uh, the Buddha says, "Well, what, what do you do with the ones that that won't that won't go, that won't respond to the whip?" And then the um, the horse trainer says, "Well, they get turned into dog food." It's very a little bit brutal, but <laughs> or words that they 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 I said I kill them and they get turned into dog food. And then then he says, "So, venerable sir, how do you train your disciples?" He said, "Well, I, you know, it's exactly the same. They're the the disciples that move at the shadow of the whip, and then the ones that." Uh, uh, with the, the they are the, the the easiest to train the ones who you have to explain uh, 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 a little bit you have to explain um, uh, a couple of times and, and then you get, they get the point and they respond the third type you explain over and over and over and eventually after an extended period of time they, they get the point and then respond and then the fourth type then no matter how much you, you explain and you uh, you you give them um, benefit then they uh, they never uh, they never learn and so <clears throat> and so again casey says so what do you do with that force type and the buddha says i kill them venerable mm -hmm. sir you're a you're a summoner you're a, <laughs> you're a homeless one you know surely it's against your principles to take life and he says i kill them in the holy life and they said well how do you do that and he says well I, d I refrain from offering any more feedback that's like okay fine uh, you're on your own so that uh, that uh, which is an interesting 
comment that uh, the, the Buddha was ready to do that. And uh, <clears throat> so the, the um, also this um, Lumpur Cha, uh, interesting him talking about um, Wat Bapong in the early days, uh, no candles or flashlight batteries, those would easily run out, or the, the ker- little kerosene lanterns, paraffin lanterns that we, we used to use sometimes, uh, they, they ran out. Um, uh, Lumpur Liam, who's now the abbot of Wat Bapong, he was the, uh, uh, he was the stores monk for many years at, at Wat Bapong. When, when I lived there in 1979, he was, uh, that was his, his role. Um, he was the, the stores monk. Uh, Achen Chu was the, was the lodgings monk. And so um, the, uh, uh, he was, Lumpur Liam was, was famous for being, um, uh, say, uh, cautious in what he, what he handed out. And so some, uh, and uh, I remember, um, I didn't experience a lot of this myself, but uh, I remember uh, Ajahn Pasano saying that uh, he went to ask for a box of matches once, and Lumpur Liam gave him three matches. <laughs> so, yeah, that'll last you for the week, you know. <laughs> so, or is he asking for a bar of soap and said, yeah, "You don't smell. <laughs> you don't. You don't need soap. You can't come back when you when you smell. Uh, you, you smell stronger. And I'll give you a bar of soap." So very, uh, you learned to, to to make do with with little, and then um, you had to develop a lot of uh, of uh, confidence. And you know, you do your your recite your verses. The, the snake protection is the virupakehi me metang metang irapatehi me. That's called the, the snake protection. Um, um, that particular parita, and. Um, and so sometimes it's absolutely pitch dark, and and uh, you uh, you have to make your way as best you can, and uh, with a bit of starlight or moonlight coming through the coming through the trees, and that uh, that sense of of faith, okay, we, uh, and confidence or readiness to step into the dark, you know, that uh, okay, I can't see clearly, and there might be some creatures around, but okay, um, uh, it's time to go to the to the 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 puja, so I'll. You know, if I go down the track and and take a step forward, if we die, we die. If we live, we live, which is a um, very sort of courageous and uh, noble attitude. Excuse me. Actually. Yes. Just, you said the snake parita. Would um, would that be chanted out loud as you're walking down this dangerous path? Often with great vigour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or it could be before you set out. Uh, but also um, uh, the Metta Sutta is also uh, their all-purpose one for well uh, for benefit of all beings. Yeah, the different puritas are used for different different purposes. So that the uh, the the quail's protection is uh, against forest fires. Uh, the uh, uh, so then the Bojanga Purita is for illnesses. The Vipassisa, the seven previous Buddhas, is the sort of the demonic protection, protection against demonic attack, and the kind of double strength you know, uh, version is the twenty-eight Buddhas, which we do is the kind of uh, the super duper demonic protection uh, verse. Uh, so there, you can use them for, for different uh, purposes. But the Virupakehi uh, is the um, the one against uh, snakes and um, other many-legged, no-legged, uh, you know, for uh, or different different creatures that might be harmful. Yes. Do you know of anyone who did actually meet their fate, meet their end of the life in that in that context, being out and killed by snake bite or? Um. Let's think. A snake bite. Um, I know if, if uh, there's a few snake stories where people met snakes. Uh, Ajahn Yanadamo was sitting meditating, and uh, and uh, he felt a certain sensation in his in his hands, and he opened up and there was a cobra <laughs> looking right at him. He said, "Funnily enough, I became very fascinated by the colours of the scales. They're very beautiful." And he thought, "Well, hang on, hang on a minute. <laughs> there's a cobra in my face." <laughs> But uh, so uh, let me think. Mm. 
there's a, not nobody I know, but there are stories of people who were uh, attacked by by tigers or elephants uh, are quite dangerous. There's a, a few elephant stories in Sri Lanka of people who didn't get out of the way, and the elephants will pick them up and bash them against the tree. There was a, a I think a, an elder Western monk in in Sri Lanka who had been had been picked up by an elephant and and sort of thrown thrown off the path and he had he had very he has quite serious injuries and quite and some substantial scars he was still able to he survived but he, he had a very like a broken pelvis and broken leg and and broken ribs from being picked up by the trunk and just thrown against the tree so, but uh, it's it's reasonably rare it's reasonably rare and also the um the that the sense of uh, I think it, it's not just the sort of magical powers of, of the beings that are being appealed to, but I think it's also the quality of confidence itself that you've having chanted that, then uh, of these these verses, then it gives you a certain sense of uh, assurance. I think that's also part of it, the kind of body language that you have, that uh, even with uh, a um, maybe a bit less with the the kind of um, uh, more simple kind of creatures like uh, like like poisonous spiders or uh, ticks and <laughs> such like, but things like like uh, snakes and, and then larger animals uh, like you know, tigers or elephants and, and such like. Then they seem to um, to respond to the quality of, of confidence or, or that, uh, that you, if you're not giving out signals, if you're not running away, you're not giving out fear signals. Then they'll they'll tend to leave you alone. Ajahn Congre, when he was a very new monk, um, he was passing through a, a piece of wild country on on Tudong when he was a very a very young monk, and he um, um, those they I think it was he can tell you the story himself, but they, I think they they were stopping to to camp someplace, and he felt he smelled this very very kind of strong pungent odor, and we could hear this movement in the in the forest around them, and and they were just sort of setting up to, to camp for the night. And then his walking partner, I think it was a cousin of his, who was another monk, said, uh, "Let's keep moving." And he said, "Oh, this is a nice place to stop." And now let's keep moving. And didn't explain why. And then he said it wasn't until um, he was uh, later on when he were, I think um, uh, he. Uh, uh, he found out that that very pungent smell was actually tiger urine, and that was the, the and the, the the sound in the in the bushes was a, a tiger nearby. But uh, he uh, he had no clue that's what it was, and uh, to, the, to that sense of of, um, of not being a, uh, not being afraid, not uh, sort of running away, or not making those kind of signals of, of fearfulness that. Uh, Probably had a, a, a protective effect as well. There's a a um, uh, <laughs> the, uh, well, there's a, uh, it's a bit it's a bit of a colonial hint tint to it. But the, there's a story of um, in the in the era of the British Raj in Afghanistan that uh, I think it was the, um, the 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 governor, the district commissioner's wife, went out riding in the hills with a few of her friends. And, and uh, they were set upon by a, 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 a group of bandits, and uh, that uh, they were sort of surrounded by the. They were way away from. I think they're coming out of, out of Kabul into the into the hills. They'd gone out for a ride, and and uh, they were surrounded by these these guys with you know, swords and and rifles, and and uh, they uh, were making it clear they were going to they were going to rob them. And apparently, the, the the wife of the district commissioner sat up in her saddle, and in, 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 with English, which they couldn't understand. You know, the local guys couldn't understand. She said, "I am a subject of her Imperial Majesty Victoria, and you will not disturb us. Get out of the way." And they were just so impressed by her kind of fearlessness. They said, oh, "Excuse us, you know, yeah." In the, <laughs> and they didn't. They didn't touch them. They let them, you know, ride away. But just that sheer gesture of, of confidence that uh, uh, was able to dispel that that 
that difficulty. And when, when Ajahn Sujito, similarly, and this is more with human <laughs> uh, 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 attacks than, than, than animal attacks, but when he and Nick Scott were um, set up, were, were surrounded by six guys, and you know, when they were on Tudong in India, and these guys were making it clear they were going to rob them, then uh, Ajahn Sujito um, just uh, put his hands together and started reciting you know, Namotasa. And then, and then this guy was over him with an axe. Kind of, they, they were at, they'd been cutting wood in the forest, and this guy is standing over him with an axe, kind of making to, to, to chop him on the head. And uh, Ajahn Sujito sort of looked up and said, okay, just, if you want to the strike, then that's the place to aim for. Which was kind of pushing his luck a little bit. <laughs> but he, he carried on chanting, and they left them alone. Actually, Nick Scott ran off, and then fell down through a, a slope and got scratched up in the bushes. And so he was uh, he got injured through his own efforts to escape. Ajahn Sujita said, okay, this is the end, it's the end, get ready. And started chanting the Namotasa and the refuges. And he, they took all his things, but they, he, they didn't harm him at all. Left him with his, his sarong, and, but you know, his robes and his passport and his bowl and everything. They found a few things that had been theirs in a local market a few days later. But uh, yeah, that, that kind of confidence then had a, a, a protective effect. Mm. I imagine that's very powerful, that if you really are embodying that willingness to say this could be the end. <coughs> yeah. There's another, another story, just to, well, we're on animal stories, <laughs> danger stories. So this uh, American bhikkhu, uh, Hung Lai, who was a d- disciple of Master Xuanhua at City of 10,000 Buddhas, his uncle is a, what they call a mountain man, uh, lived up in the, in, in, um, in the mountains in some remote region of, uh, I think of Montana, um, uh, and uh, and uh, he was uh, he would go and visit his uncle from time to time. He lived completely by himself in this little cabin way up in the hills. And uh, and um, and his uncle told him this story that uh, he had um, a number of years before he found uh, a bear cub that had uh, that had got had, the mother had died or got lost, and the bear cub was was uh, abandoned and was was starving. So he took this bear cub in and and, uh, and raised it, looked after it. And um, and so he said that he this this bear cub had been with him for for some time you know, a, a year or two so it was getting quite quite grown up and uh, and uh, hungry and it was uh, and it was uh, it would roam around um, but yeah he was he was sort of mum so the, you know the, the the bear the young bear would always come back to to the cabin and, and they were a kind of uh, a partnership he they, he looked after it and then one day he went missing. And then it was out all day, and they hadn't come back by evening. And then another day went by, and he's like, oh, "Where's that bear? Where has it gone?" And so, and he was quite a good tracker. So he went out and, and sort of tracked through the hills. And after a you know, long, 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 long hike, and he found uh, the, he found the bear cub in this in this glade, and thought, "There you are! Wow, I've been looking for you everywhere. It's taken me a day and a half to find you. Come on, let's get back to the cabin." And and then. Uh, so and this bear is kind of uh, uh, so. Oh, I'm sorry. And, and he says, "Come on!" He kind of he said he kicks it in the backside. So come on, come on, come back. And and so he, he goes. Uh, he says, cajoling it all the way back down this long, long trail through the hills. Get back to the cabin, and his bear cub is waiting for him. So <laughs> it was a completely, completely different bear. And just because of his confidence and like, I'm your mum. You know, you're coming with me. He's like, okay, okay, okay. And it kind of a long distance, you know, like a, a long trail, and just through that sustained, like, I, I'm your mother, you know, you're coming with me, and don't you dare do that again. You, you, do you, you know how upset I've been and how worried I've been about you. And okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so then he got back and like, so then he started to get, he got a bit anxious then. But <laughs> that was a true story. That was uh, Hung Lai's uncle that. Uh, that happened to England's a very mild country. You don't have too many <laughs> sort of uh, ten-inch-long centipedes or poisonous snakes or bears. You have badgers, but 
Yes. Yes, I do. Yes. He is a he's younger. A little bit younger. Yeah, he was um born in nineteen forty, so he's six years younger than Ajahn Sumato. This is I met him many times. He I found him live in a cave uh, near mm-hmm. uh, yeah, in Korea. He talked about the story of this uh snake. He actually uh, meditated in the cave and one day he saw this uh mice running toward him. And in the dark, yeah, the cave is completely dark. The mice running, and then suddenly, it uh, uh, maybe snakes, uh, something like rustic coming mm-hmm. toward him. Then he fumbled and uh, put on a flashlight. Suddenly, snake, yeah, karma, maybe mm-hmm. in front of him like that, like Ajahnana Tamo said. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing he said, that, that, that the snakes stink. I mean, have the uh, mouth, uh, bad mouth uh, breath, <laughs> bad breath. It's very near and it's like making s- and saliva coming, flashing to him too. And he still s- remember to today because of the smarty. And suddenly, you know, he survived. But he wrote it in this book. I mean, Wisdom from the Cave. He written a very good book, Wisdom from the Cave. And now he disappeared. I went last time a few years ago, the cave totally abandoned. Mm-hmm. I think he left, someone must have took him to the US. I wonder if I no, he, uh, he was visiting prostitutes in Pattaya <laughs> and using people's donations to pay prostitutes. So he was thrown out of Thailand. And really? He no was, way. yes. <laughs> I have pictures of, I've seen pictures of him in the police station having his robes taken. So. I heard about he like wearing this, uh, you know, sunglasses in Pattaya. They took they, they took picture of him. <laughs> I I was there at his ordination. I've known him for f- uh, more than forty years. He was thrown off the country. Yep. He's visiting. <laughs> 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 I was at him many times, and I even. Uh, they uh, well, not to go into too much detail, but they they had um, receipts from the bro- the brothels in Pattaya, paid for with his own credit card that he shouldn't have had a credit card even. But that'll, that's the smallest of things. So that there was no question that he was. Almost as old as uh, just eighties now. He'll be eighty. He'll be eighty-two by now. So let's uh, finish our chapter, <laughs> or uh, finish the, the the section. We should think about this and realize that the five precepts are the moral standard of a genuine human being. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> on the subject of Sila. Uh, all of you who are lay people within the Buddhist fold, have you ever really vowed to maintain these five precepts purely? Have any of you made that determination? Think about it. This is something good and true, but there are probably those who will respond, ah, I can't do it. The world insists that I behave contrary to the precepts. Society forces me to act in certain ways that violate the precepts, and I have to go along with society's ways. From what I've seen, among all the groups of people I encounter, if people have happy lives, they will not be very interested in these things. It's usually only the old and infirm with whom I can really communicate. They're the old-fashioned ones who come here and want to keep the precepts. Modern-minded people don't see anything of value here. They don't feel it necessary to have any standards or principles to go by. 
Thus, in our society, we have increased trouble, conflict, and distress. It's like a burning charcoal. Somehow we get the idea that it isn't hot. If we pick it up, however, will it be hot or cool? There's some wrong understanding here. Of course, it's really hot. So the populace today is very hot and troubled. Take a look around you. Look at Ajans and their disciples. Look at parents and children. Look at our leaders and the people. There's not much harmony. Why is this? No one can figure it out. It's just because we lack morality. There's no honesty or integrity. And when everyone becomes like this, there can only be heat and torment. This heat is like hellfire. Living in a hellish environment, people do all sorts of wrong actions and become hell-realm beings. It's called going to hell while still alive. Honesty and integrity are being lost. We could say they are about half gone. So we can see there's a lot of turmoil and strife in many places. The reason for this is only that morality and dharma are lost to people, and the pursuit of pleasure and excitement has taken their place. Virtue is constantly declining these days, and the only result is the increase in misery and trouble. Unhappy conditions appear, and we can't figure out any solution. What can we do? What's going on? It happens like this. Morality and dharma are true and correct. There's nothing incorrect in them. A poor person can practice, a rich person can practice, any type of person can practice the path of good. This good is like the backbone for all humans. A life that is established on a foundation of goodness will shine brilliantly and supremely. We needn't worry that any good we, we, uh, that we do will be wasted. Even after we die, the virtue we have created will remain in the world. This is something we can observe. Virtue doesn't die. Our children can carry it on, and when others meet our children or see anything that was connected with us, then they will think about us and feel happy. In this way, we're still giving refuge and assistance to others in the world. So this is a very beautiful and appropriate point. And uh, I, li I like to mention frequently how um, the, uh, the Buddha spoke about the five precepts, not just as sort of a limitation on conduct, but also he called them the five mahadana, the five great gifts that were, and, and they are uh, uh, what they call the source of of fearlessness, abhayadana, uh, keeping the precepts. Because, uh, and in this one particular sutta called the streams of merit, he says um, the first three of the eight streams of merit are taking refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, and then the last five are the five precepts. And he says, so that if you undertake the precept to not take life of any living being, then you grant uh, immeasurable, incalculable uh, freedom from distress, freedom from fear, freedom from uh, anxiety, uh, from a anguish to uh, an innumerable number of beings. Uh, and then in turn, you grant to yourself freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, freedom from distress. If you undertake to not not take things that are not given, then similarly you you grant to other living beings uh, immeasurable freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, freedom from distress, and so forth for each of the five precepts. So it's a gift <laughs> that uh, you are you are giving to others. This is called abhayadana. And Abhayadana, the giving of fearlessness, is also is named as being a superior kind of giving to uh, Amisadana, material, giving material gifts is is uh, the one kind of, of giving. Abhayadana is uh, giving of fearlessness is the uh, is the uh, a more kind of elevated or more um, the uh, liberating or more valuable kind of of, uh, of giving. And then the the, the um, supreme kind of giving. Is the giving of Dhamma, Dhamma Dana, is the, the third kind in that, that particular collection. So, Abhaya Dana, that, that giving the, keeping the precepts, so it's not just about what you're doing for yourself, but it's also that other beings don't need to be afraid of you, like those, you know, those creatures in the forest. <laughs> they, they know they, they don't need to protect themselves from you, that they, they, they can be at ease, and so they, they get uh, the, get quite comfortable being around monasteries. You know the the badgers, <laughs> nowhere to go for for their 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 daily uh, their daily dana, <laughs> and uh, they they know that these humans are not going to harm them. That the deer and the and the foxes and the other creatures, they they might be sort of wary for each other, 
but they know that these the big two-legged ones are they they're quite safe in this particular place. They they need to worry about us and the big the big sticks that go bang. <laughs> we're not uh, we're not dangerous. So uh, in in the workplace in the family, that's it's a great gift to give to others. You know, people know that you're you're not trying to get anything from them. You're not going to hurt them. You're not going to deceive them. You're not going to be be lying to them or trying to take advantage of them. And so people can relax around you. People can be at ease. People can have a, a sense of, of of comfort, and that uh, and that's a gift. That's a, that's a, a blessing. And so and then as Lumpur was saying at the end there, then that that ripples out. That the standard that that you're creating, then others say, well, that's really <laughs> it's really good to, to to operate that way, to be that way. That I can do that too. And then that, uh, that gift is a gift that keeps on giving in that way. So it's seven o'clock has come around, so let's uh, leave it there for now. Oh. Uh-huh.